You're listening to another premier old-time radio program at Pedango.com and also a proud member of the Blueberry Community. Another Humphrey Camardella production. Hi, everybody. I'm Wallace Hughes, and welcome to Thanks for the Memories. Here is Jack Armstrong from November 25th, 1940. Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Wave the Piper Hudson High, boys. Show them how we stand. Every chart team be champions. Known throughout the land. Wheaties, breakfast of champions, bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Now, fellas and girls, this is... Wait a minute, will you please? Doggone, they can't do this to me. Somebody should have told me. (laughs) What's the trouble, fella? You look as if you lost your last friend. Well, gee, can you blame me? I just thought I'd miss my last chance to get one of those rumors dragons on rings. You've been offering. Walt Morton just got his today. And after I saw it, well, golly, I want one, too. Well, I know how you feel, all right. But look, we've already given you lots of time to order your dragon's eye ring. You just ask any fellow or girl you know if we haven't. And if you missed out on the offer, well, you can't blame me. Well, can't you do something? I'll bet a lot of the kids in, our, in, the, in the same fix. Listen to all your talks about the ring, and we wanted to get one. But somehow we never got around to send for it. But see here. You know we can't wait for weeks for some of those fellas and girls to make up their minds. They're way too slow for the rest of this Jack Armstrong crowd. You mean there's nothing I you can do to help me get a dragon's eye ring? Well, there's still one chance for you to get one. Now remember I've been telling you that the dragon's eye ring offer closes for good at midnight tonight. Now if you get on the ball and send your order in right away... You just have time to get one. What do I do? Well, hurry to the grocery store. Ask the grocer for a package of those good whole wheat flakes Wheaties. Then cut the top off the Wheaties package and send this Wheaties box top with ten cents, don't forget the dime, and your name and complete address to Jack Armstrong, Minneapolis, Minnesota. But remember... Your order must be in the mail before midnight this very night. Gosh, thanks a lot. I'm going to do that right after the broadcast. And you can bet I'll never be caught napping again when you offer something like that swell ring that shines in the dark. Now, let's see. Have I got this right? A Woody's box top, ten cents, and my name and address to Jack Armstrong, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's right. And I'm advising every other fellow and girl to get busy in order now. Tonight's the deadline, your very last chance, so get going. And now, Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. The school spindrift, which has brought Jack Armstrong, Billy, Betty, and Uncle Jim to the Philippines in search of the lost uranium, is at anchor in Manila Harbor, her two masts rising against the stars. Near her, but hidden in the night, is the Black Shark, a rakish schooner owned by the unscrupulous adventurer Dr. Shapato, who hopes to recover the uranium for his own personal gain. 
The riding lights of freight steamers gleam through the darkness of the harbor, and occasionally the searchlight of a, of a destroyer stabs through the night. Uncle Jim had just helped Jack and Billy and Betty to escape from some of Shepato's men. They believe that Dr. Shepato himself may be aboard the spindrift, searching for a chart and a luminous ring which he needs to find the uranium. Now, Jack, Billy, Betty, and Uncle Jim are arriving at the waterfront in an automobile to see what Shepato was up to. Listen. It's certainly dark in the harbor, Uncle Jim. But there's the spindrift. I can see her rigging against the sky. There are no lights aboard it, Jack, except her anchor light. Perhaps Shepardo hasn't broken into her after all. But maybe he's already been on board, Uncle Jim. Maybe he's found the chart in the ring. He may have been aboard, Billy, but I don't believe he could have found the chart in the ring. Not unless he's developed a magic eye of some kind. I'll bet he thinks he has all night to hunt for the chart and ring, Uncle Jim. Well, he thinks that right this moment, Mazzaro and Blackbeard are holding us all prisoner. He won't think that for long. They're probably on their way to the Black Shark now to tell him you got away. I wonder if they'll dare tell Shepato with a neat trick you worked on him, Uncle Jim. Well, you just know they won't tell him, Jack. They'll make up some story about Uncle Jim breaking in with a dozen men to rescue us. They'd be ashamed to tell Shepato that Uncle Jim made them believe he was a whole army by himself. They'd probably make a good story of it, Daddy. We'd better row out to the spindrift now. And if Shepato comes aboard, we'll have a little surprise for him. Do you have to return this car tonight, Uncle Jim? No, Jack. I've hired this car to take us to the mountains. I'll tell you about that later. Let's row back to the schooner now. Where did you tie up the skiff? It's tied up at the end of the dock, Uncle Jim. Right by the ladder. Watch where you step on this dock. There may be holes in it. Come on. I can just see the black shark now. There are no lights in our main cabin. I wonder where Shepato is. He may be rowing over to the spindrift this very moment. That's right. We couldn't see him if he were in a small boat. It's too dark. Here's the skiff, Jack. I was afraid Shepato might have cut it adrift, so we couldn't get back to the spindrift while he prowled around. He missed a bet, didn't he? Uncle Jim, look at the spindrift. What about it, Jack? I don't see anything unusual. I thought I saw a light flash inside her cabin, but it's gone now. No, it isn't. It's there again. See it? I saw it, Jack. Oh, it's off again. Somebody is in the main cabin with a flashlight. Oh, I know that, Shepato. Looking for the chart and ring. We'd better hurry. That's probably Shepato, all right, Betty. I guess he's just gone aboard. It'll take him a long time to find what he's looking for. If we want to surprise him on board, we'll have to be careful. He's probably got someone in a skiff on the lookout for us. But they can't see us any more than we can see him, Jack. No, Billy, but he could hear us while we were rowing out. Unless we rowed very carefully. He could see us, too. If that big searchlight from the destroyer should point this way. That's right, Betty. That searchlight does sweep in this direction once in a while. What are the destroyers looking for, Uncle Jim? Nothing special. Just keeping a general watch in the harbor. Our Navy never gets caught asleep at the switch, Betty. Look, the searchlight's swinging around the harbor. Why, it'll be on the spindrift in just a second. It's on the spindrift now. <gasps> Jack, did you see that? I saw it, Billy. It's a skiff tied up alongside the spindrift. And there was a man in it, too. I saw him just as plainly before the searchlight swept by. And didn't you see him, Uncle Jim? I saw him, Betty. That's Chipato's lookout man. It's going to be hard to get aboard without him seeing us. Uncle Jim, why can't we row out in a big half circle? We can get on the other side of the spindrift and then come aboard from that side. If we're careful, he'll never see us or hear us. But suppose the searchlight picks us up, Jack. We won't row directly out to the spindrift, Billy. We'll row out diagonally. Just as though we were heading for one of those steamers riding at anchor. But, Jack, if the light does pick us up, the lookout will see all of us in the skiff. That'll make him suspicious. When we see the searchlight swinging toward us, Betty, we can all duck down in the bottom of the skiff. Then the lookout will just see a skiff with one man in it going out to another steamer. 
That won't alarm him. I think you've got something there, Jack. We'll try it anyway. We'll go out in the direction of the black shark. Then we'll cut in toward the other side of the spin drift. But it'll take so much longer, Uncle Jim. And Chappelle may find the chart and ring before we get there. I don't think he will, Betty. Climb down this ladder and get into the bar of the skiff. Jack, you and Billy get in the stern seat. I'd better row. I'm too big to crouch down in the skiff if the searchlight swings on us. Jack, I'll untie the painter. Better not use the flashlight, Betty. The lookout will certainly keep his eyes glued on the stock. Well, of course he will. I can untie it in the dark anyway. Just a cold pitch. Billy, you've got your feet on the oars. Hand it to me, will you? Painter's untied, Uncle Jim. And cast off, Betty. Jack, you keep an eye on that searchlight. If it swings this way, let us know in time. I will, Uncle Jim. The light's pointing at the entrance to the breakwater now. But we stay there most of the time. Here we go. Well, still flashing his light around the cabin of the spindle. I'll bet he's searching in every nook and cranny for the charcoal lamp. I don't think so, Billy. Chappard is too smart a man to think that I'd leave him in any ordinary hiding place. He probably has some method all his own. If he does find them, Uncle Jim, and starts back to the black shark, we can get him before he reaches his schooner. Well, we've got to see him first, Jack. It's awfully hard to see a small boat at night on the water. Uncle Jim, so much has happened tonight. Has happened, buddy, jumping Jimmy. Looks to me as though it's still happening. Well, I know, Billy, but now's a good chance to find out what Uncle Jim learned when he went ashore. I made arrangements to have the spin drift dried out in the morning, Betty. They're going to scrape all the barnacles and whiskers off the hull. Will they load the diving equipment too, Uncle Jim? They'll do that too, Jack. When we come back from the headhunting country, we'll be all set to shove off to the Sulu Sea and the Sunken Reef. Gosh, Uncle Jim, are we really going up to the country where the headhunters live? That's where we're going. They've sent the constabulary sergeant up there. He's the one man who may know whether Professor Loring is dead or alive. We've got to talk to that sergeant. All we need to make this trip really successful is to get mixed up with the headhunters. But I thought that headhunting was all stamped down. Almost, Betty, but not quite. It breaks out occasionally. It seems to have broken out again lately. But we won't get mixed up with it. Gee, Whitaker, I hope we don't get mixed up with the headhunters. I've only got one head and I need it. Watch it, everybody. That searchlight swinging this way. Down on the bottom of the boat. Quick. Jumping, Jimmy, there's not much room here. Where to? We'll be over in a second. Don't move now. The light's on. It's but it's a bright light. You shouldn't be able to see it till I get your head down. Oh, you have a heart, Jack. If I get any more of me down, I'll go through the bottom of the boat. All right, it's gone now. Swung back to the other end of the harbor. There. Sailing at the breakwater again. You get back in your seat. You think the lookout noticed your Uncle Jim? He saw me, all right, if he was looking in this direction. But he wouldn't think I was going to the spin drift. There's the black shark looming ahead, Uncle Jim. But there doesn't seem to be anyone aboard, except in the forecastle. I bet a million Lazaro and Blackbeard will be aboard soon. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. Not when they tell Chapato that we got away. Yeah, perhaps Chapato will have a sad story to tell, too. I'm going over toward the other side of the spin drift now. There. You're heading just right, Uncle Jim. If the light does swing back, the lookout won't be able to see us now. Chapato is still prowling around in our cabin, Jack. Gosh, I bet she has everything cropsy-turvy. I don't think he has, Billy. I still believe he has some special method of hunting for the chart and ring. Remember, Dr. Chapato is not only a smart and unscrupulous man, but he's probably had a scientific education. That's right, Uncle Jim. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known how valuable this uranium-235 is. You mean you think he has some scientific way to look for the chart in the ring? I think he has, Betty. But, Uncle Jim, how can you find a chart by looking for it with a scientific instrument? I don't know about the chart, Philip, but the ring is different. Of course it's different, Billy. Don't forget that it's luminous. It gives out light in the dark. But, Jack, you can't see it shine in the dark if it's hidden somewhere. No, Betty, you can't see it if it's hidden. 
But it's still radioactive and still gives out rays of some kind. So if you had an instrument that could detect those rays, you could discover the presence of the ring. Even if you couldn't see it? I think Jack's on the right track, then. Remember, there are infrared rays that the eye can't see, but it can be photographed. Oh, Germany, if Dr. Chappetto was equipped with instruments of that sort, what chance have we? We've still got our brains, Billy. And so far, they've done pretty well. Of course, I may be all wrong. I'm just tearing things up like a bull in a china shop. But I don't think so. Well, we'll soon find out. We're getting pretty close to the fingers, Uncle Jim. We are getting close. Don't talk about a whisper now. I'm going to roll very gently. I can see the hull of the spindrift now, Jack. Can you? Yes, I can see it, Billy. Suppose, suppose the lookout is on this side now. He won't be. He's sure to be watching our dock. He's not on this side. We could see him if he were. Then Chapato could see us if he looks through a porthole. That's right, Betty. But I'll bet he's not wasting any time looking through a porthole. Yeah, he's got the lookout to watch for him. And besides, he wouldn't expect anyone to come from this side of the schooner. Still looking around inside. At least it's... Flashlight is still on. We're almost there, Uncle Jim. I'm watching it, Jack. Billy, you and Betty stand by to hold the skiff off the schooner. Don't let her bump. Not even once. We won't, Uncle Jim. Betty, you hold off the bow and I'll hold off the stern. Jack, as soon as we pull alongside, you stand up on the seat and take a look through the porthole. Before we go aboard, we'd better find out exactly what Chapato is doing. Say, Billy and Betty had better be careful because if their boat hits the schooner just once, Dr. Shapato will know what's up. Do you suppose he really is using some scientific instrument to hunt for the chart and ring? And what about the lookout waiting in his boat on the other side of the schooner? Is he going to discover what's going on in time to give the alarm? And don't forget that Lazaro and Blackbeard may be on the way to the waterfront. There's an exciting time ahead, so be sure to listen in at the same time tomorrow for another thrilling episode of The Chart and Ring with Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Remember, midnight tonight. Your order for a luminous dragon's eye ring must be in the mails by that time. Get some Wheaties from your grocer this very minute before the store closes and send one Wheaties box top with 10 cents in cash and your name and address to Jack Armstrong, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, this may be your last chance of a lifetime to own a finger ring that shines in the dark like the eye of a dragon. To get this dandy ring, you must order tonight. Tonight or never. Have you tried a wheeze? They're whole wheat with all of the brand. Won't you try Wheaties? This is Franklin McCormick saying goodbye until tomorrow for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, breakfast of champions, who have just presented another episode of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Breakfast food in the land. Wave the pipe for Hudson High, boys. Show them how we stand. Ever sharp TV champions. Don't throw Party interview with Chuck Chayden. With the uh, seven-hour broadcast done out here in, in uh, California, did you have to come out here, Chuck, to put that together? Or? Yes. 
Yeah, we we came out. I think must have made about five trips altogether out to California over a period of, of eight or nine months. Uh, first in the planning stages, working through with it, and then uh, recording. We recorded them all at radio recorders in uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, which was a his and has an, an historic uh, recording studio. Yep. And it was uh, that was kind of a kick too to be able to uh, to do that. And one day when we were taking a break for lunch, Jim and uh, and myself and some of the other production people were going we were going across the street from radio recorders to have lunch. And Jim had a little surprise for us. Joining us at lunch was a granddaughter, and he had a granddaughter who was named Molly. And she, a young woman, young young college age, I think at that time, and she joined us for lunch, and that was kind of a, a, a little treat to meet uh, a member of his family. Of course, he was just tickled pink to uh, to have her there too. Uh, the next interview, Chuck, that we're going to feature with the audience is who? Edgar Bergen is someone who uh, I think maybe our listeners tonight would enjoy hearing a conversation with. We met Edgar in his office on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, California, in February of 1975. Uh, I tried all week long to line up an interview with him, and his secretary says, well, he's not available here, he's, he's busy, he's doing this and doing that. And I said, gee, I've come all the way from Chicago. I had kind of set this up a little bit in advance, but it was kind of difficult. Uh, I could always call someone in, from Chicago, and they, and they would never set a date with me until I actually got out to California, which is okay. So we tried to get a conversation to get a time to meet Edgar, and he was flying around doing all kinds of stuff. And finally, on, on a, I don't know what day it was, it was the last day we were going to be in California, and I said, I, I, well, if I can't meet him today then I, I have to go back because I, I, I you know we've got the ticket and we're ready to go and she his secretary called me back uh, in an hour and she said well if you can come in about three o'clock this afternoon now it's getting later and later but three o'clock this afternoon and uh, we got up to the to Edgar Bergen's office and uh, and she's well have a seat uh, he'll be he'll be here in a few minutes and uh, we sat down and there was a a big dis- kind of a nice display case there filled with all kinds of Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd, either premiums or toys. They had a lot of uh, merchandising and all of that stuff over all the years with all that Charlie McCarthy stuff and had a chance to see all of this stuff from his own collection. And then the door opens and in walks Edgar Bergen and we went into his office and he sat very casually behind his desk and I sat next to him. We had the microphone between us. And we talked at length about his uh, career. He told us uh, he went to Lane Technical High School in Chicago area and, and to Lakeview High School, went on to Northwestern University here in the Midwest. And um, uh, we talked a lot about his career. And if uh, uh, you want to hear a little bit of that conversation, listen right now. It isn't ventriloquism on radio, really. It's it's the comedy. It's the material. And, and I thought I was awfully clever. I, I was sold on myself. You know? <laughs> and they laughed at it, and it was a good act. My gosh, it was always uh, it always went well. So then the big problem was when they said thirteen weeks was 
to write a new act every week. And I would work on an act for a month and play it out of town for a month before I'd bring it in mm -hmm. in vaudeville days into New York. Here you write a new act for 30, 40 million people around the country. It's uh, something we weren't. There were no writers available in the beginning. All the early comedians were damn good writers, mm -hmm. like Benny and uh, Bob Hope and Fred Allen and Ed Wynn and these people. They they knew from vaudeville what uh, you know how to put things together. Did Charlie always look the way he looks today? No, when he when I played him in vaudeville, he was mm -hmm. a newsboy. But then I was vaudeville was dying in the thirty-two or three, and I was booked to play play a nightclub, the Helen Morgan Club in New York. So there was nothing for me to do then but to put a top hat and tails on Charlie and a monocle on him, which is ridiculous for a boy. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so then we became he became. A girl chaser, you know, and so we've had had all these romances with Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy L'Amour and all that. Well, all the glamour girls were, yeah. on, were on the show. Even Mae West was on the yeah, program. Yes, yeah, we'll never forget that one. Yeah. Tell us about it. Well, uh, uh, we we rehearsed our script, and it sounded cute, you know, but Mae was holding back a little bit, not in anything she said, but she, uh, you know, she says... Uh, uh, why don't you, you know, come up and see me sometime, you know? Well, when she says it, you know, you're right in the bedroom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so if she says hello, <laughs> you you know, there's more to it than small talk. <laughs> so we had some lines such as she said to Charlie, "Why don't you come up and see me sometime?" And Charlie said, "What do?" And she said, "Oh, I'll let you play around in my woodpile." Well, that's kind of cute, <laughs> until she said it. <laughs> and then she says, well, I don't know whether I should or not. I'll have to think it over. And she says, that's all right. She says, I like a man that takes his time. <laughs> so then we got into all kinds of trouble. And um, and uh, the network apologized. Jason Sanborn apologized. And I went and hid for a week. <laughs> and the net result was our rating went up two points. Yeah. So we weren't really too sorry. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's the story with, uh, with Edgar Bergen. And he tells a lot of good stories about the, about the, the uh, Charlie McCarthy show. Was there anybody that you've been you worked on for a long time and never got to? Uh, yeah, I tried very hard to uh, to line up a conversation with Bob Hope, but uh, Bob Hope was uh, very difficult to get in touch with because he was working so much. He was still constantly working through all of my the days that I wanted to talk with him, and then and then he would he would he would come in and out of Chicago real fast, and so you couldn't track him down. I talked to his agent 15 times, I think, trying to line up a conversation with Bob. And then eventually it got to a point where he wasn't doing interviews anymore because he was failing in his health. Uh, and, that, and that was a tough one. And I also regret never having had an opportunity to, to, uh, to talk with uh, Red Skelton. I wanted to talk with Red uh, about that. But you see, those people worked uh, almost to the very end. The same with George Burns. Uh, they, they worked constantly and they were always in demand, and they were uh, they, they they were at a stage in their life where they didn't really need to do these interviews and all of that sort of thing. Uh, or if they did, they were going to talk to some uh, nationally broadcast person or nationally read newspaper columnist, 
instead of a guy doing a local radio show out of out of Chicago. And I understood that. I'm not bitter. I'm just sad that I never had a chance to talk to some of those people. But gosh, I have talked to so many of these folks that have helped give us a great picture of the uh, of the radio days. I met uh, Brett Morrison uh, in Hollywood, California, uh, at a uh, a luncheon meeting of the Bridges Up Club. Now, maybe, Walden, you've heard of that club. You sure have, but I bet an audience said, huh? <laughs> the, the Bridges Up uh, came out of Chicago because there were radio uh, performers working in the Chicago Merchandise Mart, in the Wrigley Building, and in the Tribune Tower. And they would go from CBS to NBC. The Screen Girl Players from October 28, 1946. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, Lady Esther has the rare privilege of bringing you three of the screen's most delightful personalities in one of Hollywood's most delightful fables, the 20th Century Fox picture, Adorable, starring Shirley Temple, Peter Lawford, and Charles Coburn. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Adorable. <laughs> On the map of Central Europe, between Munich and Vienna, there is no such place as Hitzburg Legstadt. In fact, we have proof that the kingdom is mythical. People still have servants there. And that's how our story happens to start at the servants' ball, at a corner table where a handsome young fellow has just kissed a girl. Now, you may think that isn't important, but it is. It's very important. That's why the young fellow turns to her and asks, What's your name? I said, What's your name? Didn't you hear me? What's the matter? You kissed me. Oh. My name is Mitzi. Mitzi? And yours? Carl. Carl. Yeah, now you ought to kiss me. I just did. No, no. I kissed you. Well, you started it alone, but we certainly finished it together. <laughs> Have another Coke? Not just now, thanks. Some peanuts? Well, perhaps one. Tell me, is this the first time you've been here? Yes, but it's different than I thought it would be. I was just going home, and <laughs> and then you came along. Tell me, what do you do? Oh, I, I work. Where? Oh, at the, um, at the Figaro Beauty Shop. I'm a manicurist. What do you do? Oh, I, uh, I work, too. Where? At the, uh, uh, in a delicatessen. The next dance will be Ladies' Choice. <laughs> ladies' Choice. May I have the honor, sir? My lady, I'm flattered. Come on. Bartender. Another beer, please. 
Say, you've been hanging around the bar all evening. Why aren't you dancing? Secret service. Oh. Got my men posted all through the place. I thought I noticed a lot of new faces. That waiter over there? He's one of mine. The doorman? He's one of mine. That busboy? He's one of mine. The orchestra leader? Never saw him before. Say, who are you watching, anyway? A young fellow and that girl over there. See him by the door? Yeah. Ladies, please change your partner. Oh. <laughs> ah, now she'll have to dance with someone else. Don't look like it to me. She's heading for the door. The door? Excuse me, I got work to do. Driver, follow that sway. Get up! Driver, follow that sleigh that's following that sleigh. Driver, follow that sleigh that's following that sleigh that's following that sleigh. Get up! Three times and then I'll shoot. Oh, don't be silly. It's the Princess Marie Christine. Your Highness. The Trumpeter? Now, what's up? Her Royal Highness. Hurrah! Oh, oh. oh no, please, no. Oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. Do you have to go through all this? Sorry, regulations are regulations, but Your Highness shall do it as quietly as possible. What's going on there? Don't you know what time it is? What's the idea? Your Highness. Count Don Highness? Sneaking into the palace at three in the morning? Your Highness, I want to talk to you. Mr. Prime Minister, in your pajamas? Oh, yeah. Well, very well, then. We'll let it go till morning. So, Pepeg, you followed the princess last night? Yes, Count von Hainitz, and my men followed me. Where was she, Pepeg? At a servant's ball. In Cognito? No, right here in town. <laughs> she was with some guy. That's what comes of sending her to school in Paris. Home two days, and she sneaks out to a... To a to, to, oh, I can't say it. Well, it's easy to say. Servant's ball. Pepeg, sometimes I think you're... Uh... I'll think about you later. Hello? Yes, yes, at once, please. Feedback, Her Highness is coming here to see me now. You'll have to leave. Yes, Your Excellency. Not through that door, through the secret panel. Hurry. Yes, sir. I'll report later, sir. Just in time. Come in. Ah, Your Highness. Morning, Count. Is His Majesty awake? Yes, but you can't see him now. His Majesty is breakfasting. I've been home for two days and haven't even seen him. I insist on talking to my brother. Your Highness may have noticed uh, the only entrance to His Majesty's apartment is through this office. Anything to be discussed with him must go through me. I know a lot of other things I'd like to see go through you. No, that... Did you learn that at school in Paris? No, but believe me, I learned plenty. Like attending the servants' ball, for example, hmm? Are you aware that no princess of this realm ever went off the beam like that? Is that so? How about the Princess Lola, 1740 to 1798? She ran servants' parties right here in the palace. Your Highness must have been misinformed. No, I haven't. I've been reading her diary. I got it out of the library yesterday. I told the royal censor to destroy that book. 
Why did he? He's hoping to sell the movie rights. <laughs> but, Your Highness, these escapades must stop. After all, we are just about to announce your betrothal to the Prince of Partavito. What? The Prince is already on his way to our capital. Well, he can go right back. Your Highness isn't even interested in meeting him? No. Why? Is it, uh, is it because you're interested in someone else? Yes. Oh, indeed. And may I ask to what house he belongs? To a delicatessen house. And believe it or not, that's no baloney. Anna. Uh, yes, Your Highness. Did you telephone the figure of beauty shop? Oh, yes, I did, Your Highness. And I gave him your order. If a man was to call and ask for Nipsey, they'd say she'll be waiting outside at three. Anna, what's that? Just the palace regiment, morning assembly. Well, do they have to make so much noise? Oh, someone's going to be scolded, I imagine. Probably for being late. It's a sort of ceremony. Being late? No, when they get scolded. Oh, oh there he is, Your Highness. You can see through the window. <gasps> that's Lieutenant. See him? Yes. Oh, my goodness, that's Carl. Carl? Carl who? Carl, I don't even know his last name. Anna, you wait there. I've got to see Von Hainitz. Count Von Hainitz, why is that officer being scolded down there? Down there? Oh, he's a lieutenant. It's part of a lieutenant's duty to be scolded by his captain. I don't approve. I want the lieutenant made a captain. But, Your Highness, this is not your regiment. Then how about giving me a regiment? A lot of my friends at school have their own. But, uh... Take Gloria of Saxony. She's always waving at boys, so her father gave her the whole signal corps. Is this regiment taken? Yes. It belongs to the Duchess Duenberg. Oh, the one who has all those teeth? Well, yes. The Duchess does look a little bit like a horse. Mm-hmm. Why not transfer her to the cavalry? Then I can have this regiment. Yes. Maybe that would work out all right. Very well, Your Highness shall have the regiment. I don't like the way you said that. Your Excellency, you're up to something. Not at all, Your Highness. Then make the lieutenant a captain at once. Now then, Lieutenant Conradi, can you give me one reason why you were late to assembly? Yes, Captain. I overslept. I hope you'll forgive us for getting you up. Why did you oversleep? I I was up late last night, uh, studying. Studying? Studying what? Uh, you might call it strategy. Lieutenant, you're a bad example to your men. You deserve to be made a... And here's a message from the Prime Minister. Okay, here, I'll say it. As I was saying, Lieutenant, you deserve to be made a... <laughs> captain. You mean I'm a captain, Captain? You will now please address me as Major. Uh, yes, by the very same order. <laughs> and getting back to our subject, Captain, I want you to know that I will not tolerate any breach of discipline. Count Von they're scolding that young man again. I thought I had him made a captain so he wouldn't be scolded. Yes, but the captain is now a Major. Always, Majors always scold Captain. Then make the captain a major, and at once. And what is more, Captain Conradi, who undermine the spirit of our whole military corps? 
For being late, you deserve pay. Here's a message from the Prime Minister. Oh, again. <laughs> Captain Conrad, I don't think this interruption will save you. As I said before, you deserve for me to... <laughs> Major? You mean I'm a major? Major? Yes. Well, and, and since I am now a lieutenant colonel, I order you to confine yourself to quarters for 24 hours. Beginning at two this afternoon. At two? Oh, please, couldn't I start a little later, sir? Say four? No, but I'll split the difference with you. Uh, three o'clock sharp. But look, that's the reason I'm phoning. She's got to be around there somewhere. She said she'd meet me outside at three. I know, but you see, I can't get there at three. I... Just a minute, please. Come in. Darling! Oh, no, no, no not you. Forget it. Goodbye. No, no, Mitzi, not you. You can't go away now. Please, close the door. So, you're in uniform, Carl. You aren't a delicatessen man at all. Oh, what's the difference? What does it matter? All I know is that you've come to see me. Darling, don't be angry with me, please. Why did you do it? Why did you lie about yourself? Well, I, I was afraid you'd be afraid. I told you that I was an officer. You'd think I was at that place last night for no good. And what were you there for? For no good. But now we can begin right. No more masquerading, no more lies. Why, I'm beginning to feel like I was born last night. I noticed you're talking childishly. But, Mitzi, surely what I did last night is unforgivable. Darling, is it? You think a girl likes to dream all night about a delicatessen man and spend the day learning the name of every outstanding sausage so she can talk to him intelligently and then finds out he's in the army? Mitzi, do you really think of me that much? Tomorrow I was going to learn the different kinds of cheeses. <laughs> but so ends the dream of a poor manicurist. Mitzi. Go ahead, laugh at me. Tell the whole army. Oh, I'd like to. I'd like to tell the whole world. Darling, you're marvelous, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, you're... I'm sunk. You, sir. Are you in there? This is Conquered Highness. The Prime Minister. Mitzi. Mitzi, you better go into the other room. If he finds you here, I'll lose my rank. That's what you think. What? Darling, if he finds me here, you'll lose your head. The second act of the Lady Esther Screen Guild play will follow in just a moment. Now, a word from Lady Esther. When I hear a woman say she has to spend hours taking care of her skin... With a lot of different creams and lotions, I naturally wonder if she has never heard of the new way that thousands of women praise so enthusiastically. This new way is not hard, and it doesn't take much time. In fact, no more than 60 seconds for results like a professional facial. You simply smooth Lady Esther four paper face cream on your face. Then wipe it off. At once, you see how much smoother, softer, and younger your skin looks. That's because Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream does all four things your skin needs most for beauty. This one gentle, soft cream does the work itself, without rubbing, pulling, and massaging. Now, to increase and speed up these good results, once a day do this. Smooth on Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream and wipe it off. Then do the same thing a second time. This second time is so important because after you've removed surface makeup and dirt, 
there's still that clinging, stubborn film of oily dirt that clouds your skin. And the second application of Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream gets after that clouding film. Try this, and you'll get the surprise of your life. You'll see the new tone, the new and clearer color that comes to your skin, making you look so much younger and lovelier. Lady Esther presents the second act of Adorable, starring Charles Coburn, Shirley Temple, Peter Lawford, and Arthur Q. Bryan. As you may recall, Carl is entertaining Misty, the manicurist, never dreaming she is the royal princess. When the Prime Minister arrives most unexpectedly. So now her highness slips out one door, von Heinitz comes in the other, and Carl just remains frozen in his place. My dear Major, no doubt you're wondering about my presence here. Well, to tell the truth, Your Excellency. The fact I... is, I'm here on a rather delicate mission. Have you ever been presented to Her Highness, the Princess Maria Christian? No, I haven't had the honor, Your Excellency. No. Of course, of course. Her Highness is just back from school in Paris, so we'll, uh, we'll come to this core and center of the thing. I intend to present you to the Princess. Excellency? Within an hour. An hour? Oh, Your Excellency, wouldn't someday next week... Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it interferes with any of your plans. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel? Lieutenant Colonel? Now, listen. Between ourselves, the Princess must be made to forget someone. For reasons of state. Therefore, I command you to be charming. Charming? Charming. Uh, I shall expect you at the palace at once. Good afternoon. Carl, what happened? Oh, Mitzi, can you beat it? I've just been made a lieutenant colonel. A lieutenant colonel? Who pinned that on you? Old Von Hanitz. What for? Darling, I've had orders to go. War? No, boudoir. I'm, I'm being presented to the princess Yes, but, but what about me? Let's see, orders are orders I see The minute you get a chance for me to print it, you throw everything else over Oh, but darling Well, go ahead And I hope you have a charming time Just utterly charming Look, Mitzi, I, I don't think they'll keep me long Why don't you just wait here for me? Wait here? I should say not I have a much better idea than that What? Maybe you'll need a little protection. I think I'll just go along with you. But, Mitzi, you can't keep following me like this. You can't come into the palace. Why not? I'm in. You know, I sort of like it, too. All those soldiers saluting. They were saluting me. Oh, they were? So you're determined to make trouble. You won't be reasonable. Certainly I won't. Won't make trouble? Won't be reasonable. Please, for the last time, will you go? Well, if you insist. Mitzi, not in here. This is the Prime Minister's waiting room. That's all right. I'm waiting. Will you please go? While you're turning on the charm for the princess? Oh, I have to do what I'm told. Oh, you do? Well, suppose I told you to choose between us. Suppose I told you if I go out that door, no more Mitzi. What would you say? 
Well, say it. Everything I can think of saying is censurable. Well, goodbye then, Carl. Have a nice career. Wait a minute. Somebody's coming. Here, get behind the screen, quick. Oh, Lieutenant Colonel, you are here already. That's something. Sorry, you'll have to wait a bit. We're having a little difficulty locating the princess. Well, maybe we ought to put it off till tomorrow? No, 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 no. It must be today. You don't know how much depends on this. I'll find her, all right. I'll find her today if it takes me all week. Now then, you just wait here and... Uh... What? What was that? Behind that screen. You, you there. Come out, whoever you are. Good afternoon, Von Hainer. You? <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel, playing hide and seek with us, eh? Your Excellency, I assure you that... Your Highness, uh, allow me to present Lieutenant Colonel Carl Conradi. Your... Your Highness? Hmm. Where did you find him, Von Hainer? Oh, he was disguised as a mere lieutenant. Oh, rather nice, isn't he? Is there any reason why I can't have him for my personal if there, were, if there were any such reason, Your Highness, we'd brush it aside. <laughs> Thank you. Conradi, you'd better wait here until I send for you. At your orders, Your Highness. Just be patient. I won't be long. Dear boy, congratulations. You charmed her in exactly ten seconds flat. I did? Yes, and, and from a standing start. Colonel. <laughs> now then, Pepex, you have a report? And how, Your Excellency, and how? Well, how? Well, I started... I started, Your Excellency, by tracing that young fellow who was at the servant's ball with her. It seems he's a delicatessen man named Carl. You mean that you have arrested him? No, but I've arrested all delicatessen men named Carl. <laughs> Up to one time, I had 347. Really? Now, by elimination, I'll get my man. Pepec, I'm sorry you've gone to so much trouble, but your delicatessen man has already been eliminated. Uh -huh. Now you'll get me saying it. Eliminated by my officer in ten seconds flat. Poof! In ten seconds flat? What a man. Well, you can see for yourself. He's out there in the waiting room. Uh -huh. Now, if you'll just take a look through this secret peephole. Oh, <laughs> well, Peepack? Your Excellency, that's him. Who? Your officer. He's my delicatessen man. <laughs> Did you get everything? Yes, Your Highness. Some peanuts, Coca-Cola, lemon to sharpen it. Oh, that must be Colonel Conradi now. Let him in, Anna. Yes, Your Highness. Colonel Conradi, at your orders, Your Highness. At your orders, darling. Why don't you come a little closer? As Your Highness wishes. My. You're all dressed up, aren't you? A sword and everything. And what's that pin sweater for? A cuirass, Your Highness. It's for, uh, protection. Here. You will remove it, please. Yes, Your Highness. Anna, you will take the trail to catch her out with you. Yes, Your Highness. Oh, noisy, isn't it? Now then, relax. That's your drink right there. Cross it. Oh, I, I'm not thirsty now. Then I command you to be thirsty. Bottoms up. <laughs> there. That's more like it. Your Highness, I... 
I'd like permission to go. Sit down. Yes, Your Highness. Why do you make it so difficult? You're the man. You should do the commanding, not I. I am a simple officer. Well, you're an officer, but I wouldn't say simple. Look, why can't we make a fresh start? Why can't we forget about Marie Christine? I cannot presume to take the liberties of Your Highness. Oh, you've been reading Emily's post again. I'm sorry, Your Highness. It, it cannot be. You really mean that? You mean this is the end? Your Highness, please let me go. Well, it's just too bad about you. All right. If you're going to be such a flat wheel, take this note to Count von Hainitz. Yes, Your Highness. Wait. Go ahead and read it first. Count von Hainitz, you may announce my... You may announce my engagement to the Prince of Pontevedro. Well? Your Highness's orders. I shall deliver it at once. My boy, this is wonderful. Wonderful. You not only know how to turn on the charm, but you also know how to turn it off. Congratulations, General. General? General? From lieutenant to general in two days? That's three under par on this course. Keep back. This is a great victory. Get in touch with the prince at once. Yes, Excellency. He is staying in Cognitor and in, in the forest. It's called the Stunted Hag. What? I beg your pardon, my error, the hunted stag. <laughs> but, Your Highness, I don't understand. Why should you cry like this? Please, please. You must. You, you'll ruin your makeup. I don't want to be nice. I don't want to be engaged. You have to cancel it. But we've already sent a courier to the prince. We can't buck out now. We can't insult the whole nation of Pontevedro. You mean you're going to force me into this? Force you? Didn't you tell me to notify the prince? Yes, but I didn't say positively. No, this is ridiculous. The grand ball is just about to begin. The prince will arrive here any minute. I say we've got to go through with this or else. Or else what? Oh, hey, what's all this rocket about? Can I have a little quiet? That's your pussy can't even read Dick Tracy. Oh, darling, I'm sorry. Oh, and you. You're a fine older sister. Haven't even been in to see me once since you got back. Darling, I, I tried to, but he wouldn't let me. Who wouldn't let you? Him, Von Hainitz. Oh, is that so? Von Hainitz, you're discharged. But, Your Majesty. You're fired. See the cashier in the morning. <laughs> Hey, Marie. Hey, you look pretty cute. Hey, why doesn't somebody marry you? Oh, somebody's going to. The Prince of Pontevedro. Oh, is that so? Your Majesty, Your Majesty, I have just asked what's news. All right, Peapack, you spill it if you have to. I went to fetch the Prince of Pontevedro. He said he was sorry he couldn't come now. Oh, he couldn't, huh? Why not? He was listening to the Wade Esther Screen Guild show. He don't want to miss the tag. <laughs> well, sis, that sort of puts us in a spot. Oh, I don't know. I think I could manage to dig up somebody. I mean, if I simply have to get married. Your Highness, did you send him in? Yes, Carl, I did. Hey, he's a nice-looking fellow, Marie. Hey, why don't you marry him? Well, I will if, if he will. Well, how about it, Guy? You mean marry her? Her Royal Highness? Sure. Why not? Oh, now you're talking, fella. Oh, gee, thanks for helping us out. You know, 
You're a prince. Huh? Oh, oh, Carl, isn't that wonderful? Now you're a prince. Oh, darling, there's nothing can come between us now. Nothing, darling. Absolutely nothing. Unless... Carl, what is it? Do you mind if I take this iron vest off? I think it might sort of cramp my style. <laughs> Thank you, Carl Coburn, Peter Lawford, and Shirley Temple for your delightful performances in tonight's Lady Esther Screenville play. We enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Mr. Bradley. It was our fun. The wonderful work being done by the Motion Picture Relief Fund and its country house makes our appearance with the Lady Essie Screen Guild players a double pleasure. For we know the benefits from this program supports their work. And now, before we tell you about next week's show, here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Temple. Ladies, have you ever had this experience? You meet a friend who seems to be feeling perfectly fine and gay. Yet she looks a bit tired. She doesn't feel tired, yet she does look tired and older than she should. This happens often because a clinging, stubborn film of oily dirt still remains after you've removed the surface makeup and soil from your skin. This crowds your skin, gives it a tired, older look. Now I'll tell you what to do about it. At least once every day, smooth on Lady Esther's four-purpose face cream and wipe it off. Then immediately repeat smooth on the cream and wipe it off. This second creaming amazingly increases the good effect because the second cleansing is what gets after that clinging, crowding, aging dirt film. You don't need any other cream to help accomplish this. Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream needs no help from other creams. This one cream alone does all four things your skin needs most for beauty. The cream itself does the work, not your fingers. And I advise against rubbing, pulling, and massaging the skin of your face, especially around the eyes. You will not have to wait to see results. Then and there, your own eyes will tell you your skin does look radiantly cleaner, with clearer color, and younger. I promise you will see this happen. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Experiment Perilous. It will star Ruth Puzzy, Adolf Marju, and George Brent. Be sure to listen. Adorable was produced and directed for Lady Esther by Bill Lawrence. Adapted by Harry Kronman and was presented through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. Producers of Daryl F. Zanuck, The Razor's Edge. Shirley Temple appeared through the courtesy of David O. Selznick. Producer of Duel in the Sun. Peter Lawford appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer... Producers of the Technicolor picture, The Yearling. Charles Coburn is currently starring in Metro Golden Mayor's production, The Green Years. You save enough on the largest size jar of Lady Esther face cream to buy a box of Lady Esther face powder. So remember, ask for the largest size. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther. Thank you and good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Radio Pros from October 28, 1946. I'm Walton Hughes, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday USA. Do everybody, Bill Bragg coming your way on the tail end of tape number seven for this, the first day of August. Yeah, that's when this uh, two week period started, and it'll continue for two weeks. We invite you to visit our website at www.yesterdayusa.com. We've been on the air now for over 21 years, playing the best of old time radio shows free of charge, 24 hours a day, available all over the world. And you find out. The many different places to listen, and how easy it is. No matter where you are, whether it's satellite, cable television, low-power AM and FM radio stations, even on your telephone, there's nowhere that you can't listen to Yesterday USA. And now, we're available on an iPod near you. That's right, we're podcasting. For more information, visit the website, yesterdayusa.com. Right there in the middle of the front page tells you all about it. And, of course, uh, all you podcasters over there at www.radiomemoriesnetwork.com, welcome to Yesterday USA. By the way, if you're wondering what podcasting's all about, get over there and check out the good folks at radiomemoriesnetwork.com. That's www.radiomemoriesnetwork.com. All right, time for more of the good stuff, so whatever you do, don't you dare go away.
Hi, this is Pat Matthews for Humphrey Camardella Productions with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for all you Beatles fans. That Beatles collection of yours just won't be complete without the Pop Goes the Beatles limited edition collection. It's the Beatles like you've never heard them before. Not just the music, but never-before-released recording sessions, interviews, concerts, and a host of entertainment that's just not available anywhere else. And because of a special arrangement we've made with our sponsor for our listening audience, you're going to be able to purchase this complete 45 CD set of Pop Goes the Beatles, a regular $197, now only $179, shipping included. Or you can start your collection with Volume 1 for just $69.99. But remember, you must use the promo code POPCAST1 to get these great prices. We don't know how long this offer will continue, so don't miss out. Act today, and here's how you can do it. Call the toll-free number 1-888-9-BEATLE or go to BeatlesNetwork.com and order today.